0: Welcome to NeuroNiddle's NeuroFeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast featuring tech legend Jay Gunkelman. He is the man who has read over a half a million brain scans. Our goals provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. A special thanks to our gold and silver supporters. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neurosciences NeuroGuide Workshop December 10th and 11th in Madeira Beach, Florida. It's led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend online or in person with the link appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. And if you sign up now, you can join Dr. Robert Thatcher at his house for a pre-course get-together December 9th. It's going to be a blast. What a better way to enjoy winter by being in Madeira Beach, Florida and earning up to 16 CEU hours. Sign up now at AppliedNeuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. Mindmedia.com. Get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from Mindmedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit mindmedia.com now. What is the Savant? What's going on with the brain? Is that something we could uh, talk about? Uh, well,
1: it, you know, Savant <laughs> ends up having such a gigantic comorbidity with uh, Asperger's traits. Um, yeah, uh, uh, you, You've Locked onto a topic in kind of an obsessive way, and um, your uh, your blinders have you focused in on that and that alone. Now, with that kind of a focus, you can learn a tremendous amount about a given subject. Uh, look at the, you know an eight year old knowing about dinosaurs. I mean, yeah, they'll know more about dinosaurs than I've ever learned about dinosaurs. You know? So, but then I wasn't into them, so you know. Uh, I was a science and technology. The same thing, you know.
0: So savant um, and Asperger's. I mean, for for the general, there's a population, huge it's the comorbidity. Tra- com- huge
1: comorbidity. You know, and it is, uh, uh somebody who's a savant very often uh, is so focused on their topic that they don't have traditional social, you know, uh, skill sets, and um, uh, they're they're good at one thing and one thing only. Um, it, it, you remember the movie Rain Man? Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's it, it. There's you know super skill set for somebody, but he's just totally not functional. You, uh, it's hard to get him to pass even in a normal setting as somebody who's even close to functional. That uh, there are savants who are, uh, you know, kind of halfway passing as normal but uh, um, (laughs) my my old business partner uh, referred to me as one, uh, a a savant of EEG, uh, because he didn't know anything. He couldn't find anything that I didn't actually already kind of know about about EEG. But I, you know, I've been fascinated with it since I was young and, you know, very much like a kid who's so focused on dinosaurs, you can end up picking up a tremendous amount of information and, if that's what you're interested in, you can yeah. build a, a gigantic network of data that ends up having a, a structure to it. So when you learn something new, it's one little piece put into a structure you already have. So uh, learning more things in an area you know well, uh, that the additional things are easy uh, because you actually have the structure to, you know, the, the tree to hang them on basically. And, you know, there's a lot of factoid ornaments to hang on any tree on any subject.
0: Um, well, Jay, you brought up uh, Rain Man, and that was from uh, the book Awakenings, I believe. Uh, Dr. Malcolm Sayer, and the guy in the movie, Robert De Niro, who did a great job, he was supposed to be uh, Leonard. Um, and they were... Mm-hmm. You were messing around with L-dopa. Re- Do you remember anything about what was going on back then? Um, the, actually,
1: L-dopa is uh, able to uh, wake people up out of a frozen state. Um, if the, if you look up online, frozen people, yeah, uh, you're going to find that in the '70s in the Bay Area there was a bad batch of MDMA. Uh, ecstasy that was made, and uh, people used it at a rave, and they had a great time. And when they woke up the next morning, they were frozen. They could not move. They had an advanced Parkinsonism induced by the medication, and they were frozen. And and they they basically weren't weren't. Uh, the, it was like the worst advanced Parkinsonism you can find, and you can't initiate. Uh, you're, you're, you're basically frozen. And there were a few of them, not many, but there are a few of them that were taken over to Europe and they had dopamine implants, uh, fetal tissue implants, so dopamine from a fetus uh, tissue implanted in, and they unfroze. Um, uh, others received uh, uh, dopamine compounds here in the United States, which is, yeah, that's, that's essentially the way you treat Parkinson's disease is, is dopamine-related supplementation, and it works for a while, but you know it's 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 not uh, it's not a functional long term. Uh, the the earlier you take it, the sooner it becomes ineffective, and um, the, the, so there's a lot of Parkinson's patients that kind of wait and wait and wait in order to start their dopamine therapy, uh, but you know the, uh, at, at this point for advanced PD in the US, uh, there's a solution. You know, I had a, a, a friend in the little tiny town, of Crockett, California, and 2,000, know, three three 3,200 people. It's a, a itty bitty bird. And so, you, you know, if somebody's in town, you're gonna see them, you're gonna know them. And, you know, I, I knew him as a runner and he would run from Crockett to Port Costa and back in the mornings, and you'd see him running around town you know, all you know, peppy and and uh, running, and you know, a couple of years later, I saw him and he was really having a great deal of trouble shuffling down the sidewalk. And I stopped and I chatted with him a little bit. And he said, you know, you've been running and now you're you're walking, but not well. You're shuffling. Uh, what, what's going on? And he said, "Oh, you know, I've I've got Parkinson's disease, and I'm thinking." about having a, a deep brain stimulator put in and I, I i told him that's a really really good idea for you at the stage that you're at um the deep what, brain what stimulator that? what's that w- what is a
0: deep brain stimulator uh, um
1: you know it's a, it's a, a device uh, that's got a uh, uh the ability to create uh stimulation within the brain and it's usually put into the subthalamic nucleus. And um, uh, that's part of the motor regulatory loop. And um, it, it provides an electrical stimulation and that stops tremors. So your, your pill rolly hand tremor, you know, the, the, the Parkinson's has, have what, what they call a pill roll hand tremor and the bob of the head, all of that stops. And it stops quickly. You turn on the stimulator. It's not like, well, two days from now, you'll have some effect. It'll get better over the next month. No, it's like clicko. The tremor goes, yeah, stops. And if you turn it off, the tremor returns. Now, uh, deep brain stimulators are used to uh, treat advanced Parkinsonism, and it's quite effective. Um, it's a relatively uh, straightforward a surgical implant, a stereotactic uh, implant. Uh, uh, what they stimulate uh, has changed over the years. Uh, initially, they had a DC stimulation, basically just a direct current. And uh, the uh, Dirk De Ritter, MD, PhD, neurosurgeon, invented pulse—you uh, know, pulse mode um, stimulation uh, up at the 600 hertz range. So it actually mimics spike trains of uh, that that neurons would be making. And um, they, they when they implant that, they basically can uh, just turn on the stimulator and turn off your tremor. So the frozen postures, which are advanced Parkinsonism, and tremors end up being able to be effectively treated. Now, you don't have to take exogenous dopamine, which does have some side effects. I mean, you know, uh, 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 dopamine operates on your pleasure center, and there's there's all sorts of uh, uh, potential side effects from that. But even setting all that aside, you know, if you're frozen in your postures and you're tremulous, it, it's 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 a debilitating circumstance. People walk around and away from people that look that advanced in Parkinsonism. It's a it's it's off-putting. Now, it's unfortunate because actual Parkinsonism, your brain is still relatively intact. Now, you, in advanced states, there's some circuitry, pardon me, <clears throat> some circuitry that's lost uh, for function. So you do degrade, but initially, the appearance of tremor and bobbing of head and everything, you know, you're still conversational. Now. Not everybody ends up having you know, Parkinson's disease. Um, you can have uh, tremors and and have uh, uh, other uh, disturbances that are actually happening. Uh, the the comedian who ended up having Louis body and uh, Robin Williams, yeah. uh, his they thought it was Parkinsonism at first because they they look the same. The big difference is that Louis body cycles a bit so you get worse and then you get better but when you're worse you actually have hallucinations i mean full-blown hallucinations i could see pete jansen standing in front of me when you're not even close you know so and it's 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 not like it's a a a distortion of what i'm seeing it's like full-blown freaking hallucinations and you know that's it's a different entity Uh, but they're misdiagnosed quite often. And since you get better again, and you realize I'm going to get worse again. And when you cycle a couple of times, and you realize you're about to go back down into the depth of pathology, it's not uncommon in Lewy body for people to actually have a suicidal uh, ideation that they'll act on. Uh, That They just don't want to end up into the depths of uh, uh, the experience of it again. And, you know, it's everybody's choice. I mean, um, uh, there, there are, are locations that allow you uh, to do suicide. Um, and, you know, in California, there's uh, there's laws around that as well. Um, uh, one that I've taken advantage of is the uh, POLST EMT DNR, um, Physician order for life-sustaining technology, uh, EMT, emergency medical tech, do not Mm. resuscitate. You know, uh, you might have a do not resuscitate order at a hospital so that they don't do something extraordinary to try to keep you around after you've gone down bad. Um, But that DNR doesn't stop an EMT from resuscitating you um, out on the street if you go down. So if you have a PLST, EMT, DNR, uh, they, they can't touch you. There's a doctor order telling them that they have to leave you alone. And um, if you go to another state, the, the, that order uh, isn't really valid. The doctor who signed it might not be licensed in that state. And the EMT in another state may end up having to do what they're mandated to do, which is ignore all that kind of stuff and, and actually do resuscitation. Uh, Jay, but then I can't travel say... anyway, so I'll be here in California. Uh, it, not. Uh, I don't have to worry about where I am uh, when I go down. Uh, all they can do is shoot the flies away. So,
0: well, I'll see you soon enough. So, <laughs> so, so Jay, the Parkinson's that takes a while, right? And you know, we're talking about implants, and Elon Musk is getting all the headlines, and I know it's totally different thing, but. Uh, if it takes that long, because if you're shuffling your feet, that means you've had it for a while, right? In in fact, before you have your first symptom, about 75%
1: of the cells in the substantia nigra are already toast. You know, there's a huge redundancy. And uh, by the time you're symptomatic, it's kind of almost too late to really fully save that nuclear body. Um, You're going to have movement disorders of some sort. Unless there's a major intervention, uh, dopamine uh, kind of uh, uh, puts you a couple of percent back in in play, uh, so you're not symptomatic for a bit. But uh, the the stimulator is is really the only thing that's going to give you a relatively longer term uh, improvement. Not all stimulators last all that well. Um, the the brain area that they're stimulating sometimes has atrophy, uh, so the you know, where they were implanted ends up not really being as fully functional as they used to be. Um, it's not unusual for, for implants to have multiple electrodes. It looks like a little uh, paddle with maybe a dozen little electrode dots on it. And once it's implanted, they have to figure out which pair of dots need to be turned on in order to have it uh, optimally functional. And if it becomes less functional, uh, they'll usually try to program a different set of dots to see if they can recover the functionality that has been lost. And uh, the old DC stem uh, 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 implants actually electrolyzed the cortex in the area. So uh, you, if you took the implants out, you could see exactly where they were, and it, it you know, kind of, uh, kind of like having an imprint of something. Uh, that you, you press something into the sand, and you, now you see what it was that was implanted or imp, imprinted. So, so uh, the, the, um, but the 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 pulse stimulation doesn't have that, uh, yeah. and the batteries last a lot longer if you're not doing constant DC current or yeah. pulses of DC. Uh, the the the, uh, the 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 brief spiking ends up having a longer battery life.
0: So, so Jane, ideal situation. There is no ideal situation with Parkinson's, but. Let's just say you do your DNA and I know a 23andMe, it, from what I saw, it says, hey, you have this percentage likelihood of getting it. It's, it's not 100%, but I mean, it gives you a clue. Yeah. And it says, hey, you know, you better watch out for it. Well, if you better watch out for it and somebody knows that, what should they do? Like, do you get a EEG and a baseline each year? Like, what what advice would you... Look, we're, we're, <laughs> if you if you start to see uh,
1: subtle tremor or difficulty initiating movements, it's time to be evaluated for it, and um, uh, get, you know go go into a neurologist at that point yeah, yeah, for yeah. Uh, for a full eval. Um, but I have to say, uh, genetic testing gives you the genetic marker that corresponds with people that have it, but. Not everybody has their genes expressed. You can have the Alzheimer's gene and not get it. You can have right. a breast cancer gene and not get it. Um, you, know, you have lots of genes and they don't express. So, uh, um, it, it, you know, it's it's when you get genetic testing, they have a genetic counselor that meets yep. with you, and the counselor basically kind of puts a little dampening on on your angst over what you see in your genetic testing um again not not everything ends up coming to fruition
0: right right luckily so so, yeah um what do you see in the brain like what areas are are dysregulated when you know you're when you're just like you start feeling the symptoms and because you just i thought you said that once you get the symptoms it's too late i'm just trying to see if there's anything in between like what are you going to see in the in the brain map
1: well once you've got symptoms it, it's uh, you're not going to be uh, fully recovered unless you have an intervention okay and the intervention may be pharma uh it might be implant again, they usually wait for the implants until you know you' are you're, you're fairly advanced they they don't do that as the first blush uh you you'll get quite a few years out of pharma uh you know, t- taking uh, uh, l dopa and L-dopa, you know, uh, dopamine-related compounds. Um, And and when that starts to not work, your alternative is basically to get an implant. Now, my friend in Little Crockett uh, ended up getting the implant, and I I, I then see him jogging through town again, you know, and and not a shuffly jog. I mean, he was, you know, fully mobile again. And boy, was he ecstatic. You know, he, he was so worried about the implant thing. You know, brain surgery isn't, you know, the, uh, if somebody says they're going to open your head up and put something in, you got to wonder, gee, uh, who, who's going to be at the other end of that surgery? Uh, am I going to be me? Uh, yeah. What What's the outcome? What if, you know, I mean, not every anesthesia goes well. Uh, what if I come out of it with, brain fog or uh, personality change. You know, for some of us, a personality change wouldn't be such a bad deal, you know? I mean, you know, just swap it out for a better one somehow. But <laughs> um, uh, when you hear personality change as a symptom, it's not that people got better. Uh, uh, that You know, nobody comes in complaining, Uncle John got nice, you know? <laughs> you know, um, Grandpa got grumpy and angry and you know, had a personality change. Well, it's never for the better. So, um, But uh, uh, PD, Parkinson's, um, it, it is something you can actually see in the EEG. Uh, Rodolfo Linus, a, a very famous um, a researcher, uh, identified that there's a cross-frequency coupling. Uh, the alpha in the area slows down to about six cycles a second, which is outside the traditional alpha band. It slows into the theta frequency band, but it's slowed alpha, not theta. And the International Federation tells you, if you see something in the theta band, you have to identify whether it's limbically generated theta or thalamocortically slowed alpha that happens to be in that band. And for a dysrhythmia, it's slowed alpha. And when alpha slows to that point what you end up having is areas adjacent to it end up invading. The brain doesn't want a spot that doesn't have a function. So what's happened is when the alpha slows to about 6, the lateral inhibition that keeps the function in that spot being the function in that spot, when you lose that function, the adjacent area will invade. Lateral inhibition is gone, so the lateral areas invade. And what happens in the EEG is that Gamma turns on like a donut surrounding the spot that's missing, and it invades. The donut will squeeze in until it occupies that spot. It's neuroplasticity going to arrive. And what you end up seeing is the six and the gamma end up being cross-frequency coupled. And that's seen in the bispectrum. Uh, Again, cross-frequency coupling, you can't just look at it a spectral peak, you have to have multiple peaks. And you you, you look at it um, with software that identifies that those peaks are independent, they're actually linked. And the gamma isn't pulsed. It's not brief bursts of gamma, which is healthy. It's persistent gamma, which is always pathological. Um, Persistent gamma is seen in an epileptic focus. It's seen in Parkinson's disease. It's seen in tinnitus. Uh, it, it's seen in uh, some forms of chronic pain. Uh, it's seen in some forms of reward deficiency syndrome, like depression, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, addiction. Uh, the, um, and the spot in the brain differs, but it's the same foundational process. cortical dysrhythmia, again, uh, initially Rudolf Alinas identified it. Uh, Dirk de Ritter, uh, MD-PhD, a neurosurgeon, Belgium and New Zealand labs, he's, he's really quite well known worldwide, um, End up uh, finding it in tinnitus. And he had a tinnitus database of over a thousand people and uh, that you could uh, use that database to kind of characterize what tinnitus looked like. So he had the ability of a machine learning algorithm to uh, when you come in and they record your brain it would tell you whether your brain looked like tinnitus or not. And he had a patient come in and uh, he had uh, Parkinson's disease and the algorithm said tinnitus. And you know Dirk goes, well, that's not right. Uh, the, uh, the, this is uh, tinnitus, not Parkinson's disease. And upon further examination, the thalamocortical dysrhythmia, the same kind of a problem in a different neural network was all it was. So, Rodolfo Linus's identification of uh, Parkinson's disease or movement disorders in the motor, premotor area that regulates movement uh, w- was one thalamocortical dysrhythmia. But if it happens in the auditory cortex, it's tinnitus. And uh, literally, uh, you'll have spots that carry different frequency information invading. So you have phantom sound. If you lo- lose a limb, you can have phantom pain. And again, it's a lack of an input to the cortical area. The alpha for the hand area that's missing basically will, uh, will not have an input. It will slow down dramatically to about six hertz. And at that point, the face area, you, you touch the face and you feel it as pain in your hand. It, it's, it's, uh, it, it's misplaced. Uh, localization and the, the same uh, cortical plasticity uh, for tinnitus pain movement disorders and reward deficiency just a different network. Uh, Dirk Ritter published that in Nature um, oh, three four years ago five years ago maybe now um, and uh, uh, what they did is they uh, they programmed up the machine learning algorithm that they had that found tinnitus versus normal. And uh, they, they turned that loose on the data set. And it basically ended up identifying the same problem with different locations, different networks. So it's a foundational failure mode in the brain. And uh, depending upon where it is, you have a different symptom. Uh, luckily, the fix is fairly straightforward. Replace the input, well, I lost my hearing, Now, having tinnitus, well, for God's sakes, get a freaking hearing aid, replace the input if you can. Now, not every input can be replaced. You can end up having a nerve problem that won't, no matter what your ear is hearing, it won't put something through. But if you can, replace the input. If you can't, I mean, you lost your limb, you're not going to replace the input from the limb that's lost. Uh, But you can put an implant in the brain that stimulates the area. So instead of having input from the brain to the cortex, you input on the cortex with an implant. And those are the implants that Dirk would put in to turn off tinnitus. Now, you know, when you put an implant in the brain, you're, you're going to stimulate something, depending upon where you put it. And, you know, the, the auditory cortex on the right side, uh, sits close to some interesting other areas. Um, your your sense of self, uh, your sense of self and others, uh, the God the God spot. I mean,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: all these are over there in that temporal primal junction. And um, uh, Dirk put an implant in a fellow uh, uh, back in 2007. It was published in uh, New England Journal of Medicine. When you put the implant in, and they 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 turn on a couple of pairs to find out which pair of electrodes makes it work best. turn off his tinnitus well when they turned on one pair he reported an out-of-body experience oh (laughs) Uh, that's a little different you know um uh so in the u.s hold
0: hold on parkinson's tinnitus and out-of-body experience they're all uh,
1: well the out-of-body experience was because the stimulator triggered the circuitry for the the sense of self and he had an out-of-body experience and um, a New England Journal of Medicine, uh, November, 2007, uh, something like the neuroimaging of out-of-body experience, something such as that for the title. And yeah. um, he, he, the, he basically uh, in the U.S., they would have cut the leads to those wires so you couldn't stimulate them anymore, told the guy it was just a drug effect um, from sedatives during the surgery and, and they uh, swept it under the risk management rug and nobody would have known the difference.
0: But Dirk isn't
1: like your normal guy. He's, he's a curious fellow and he has his own lab. And you know, he basically said, well, uh, he can't tell if the is on or off by feeling it. He can only tell us if he's in or out. So we have a blinded radar out of body experience study to do here. Stick them in the fMRI. And, you know, in versus out, you can end up plotting the difference, you know, like fMRI stuff does. And let's look for where this out of body experience stuff is. And, you know, that's a really interesting piece of science. And New England Journal of Medicine isn't really into publishing about an out of body experience, this is not their hot topic. Uh, they're they're like medical topics, but this is a medical topic with a bizarre, you know, uh, twist to it. Uh, he sent that article in twice to the New England Journal of Medicine, and they sent it back. Now, a big journal, if they're not going to accept, they just send your manuscript back. No comment. They just send it back, and you know, he got it back twice with no comment. And uh, I was in Europe at a meeting, I think somewhere two thousand five, two thousand six, and. Um, uh, I think it was in Berlin 2005, actually. And uh, he showed me his paper and because uh, uh, I had done a talk on consciousness. And this guy's obviously, you know, out of body experiences, it's an odd uh, consciousness thing, you know. So he, he asked me to look at his paper and he asked me what's wrong with his paper. And I, I read it and I said, well, there's nothing wrong with the paper. It's fabulous science. He said, well, New England Journal of Medicine sent this back twice with no comments. So there's got to be something wrong with it. I said, whoa, New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, you know, uh, your your writing is in European syntax. I can read this. I can tell this is a European author. Uh, and if you don't have a Boston accent, you probably don't get into the New England Journal of Medicine. So <laughs> let, let's rewrite this. with with, with the East Coast uh, syntax and see whether it's just that. So uh, he handed it to me in an electronic file format instead of on paper. Um, I I rewrote it that night and handed it back to him on a thumb drive. Uh, He submitted that and it was accepted November 2007. And uh, um, yeah, it takes time to actually get something published, published from the time it submitted, but it went through the process and, and ended up being a November 2007 publication. Now he does thank me in the last paragraph for reviewing a prior version of the manuscript. So um, my, my, my name as a, not an author of any sort of a way uh, is in that paper, uh, but it, um, it's, it's published. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice to know, uh, that uh, somebody with an implant to turn off tinnitus ended up uh, accepting the additional research to actually show uh, what the out-of-body experience was, was like and what areas in the brain were actually involved in.
0: Now, Jay, we did a show on out-of-body experience with some screen shares. I'm going to put a link to that in the, in, in the notes, but just briefly, to what people's whistle to get them to go and click on this link. What is going on? Is it in the temporal region? Like what's, what's happening? Yeah. And, and in fact, it, uh, the stimulation, uh,
1: isn't just the spot you stimulate you. It's a network in the brain that you stimulate and, uh, Dirk shows some of the, the, the hot spots within that network. Okay. Um, uh, uh, but the, the temporal parietal junction is the surface access point to tap into that network. And, um, again, that location ends up having the sense of self, the sense of self versus others and the God spot all sitting right around the same spot. So you're, 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 uh, stimulating an interesting location in the brain that's networked up with some other interesting locations. Um, and, uh, it, it's, it'd be good to have an N of 5 or 10 or 25 of people that had the same thing, but it, you know, it's it wasn't a common finding. Dirk, Dirk's been implanting stimulators in the temporal lobe for people, for uh, tinnitus for a long time. Uh, he invented that surgery. You know?
0: So, so, so when somebody's just, having this experience, it's usually they've had an accident and, you know, they're about the past, why is that? Why is that network getting activated when you know that trauma occurs?
1: Oh well, <laughs> uh, a, a, as you're as you're passing, there's all sorts of metabolic uh, uh, changes that end up happening in the brain. Um, uh, uh, the near death experience is um, kind of an interesting trip, you know. Um, uh, uh, it, it, I, I actually don't um, even try to avoid it or i don't get freaked out about it or anything anymore at all it's kind of like being invited into the car and ride um you know it, it it's an interesting trip and after having done it a number of times it's not like um a fearful trip it's just you know yeah here we yeah. go again uh, uh ride it out and see see how it is you know and i i, I uh, if the Grim Reaper shows up, I, I wave. I'm over here. You know? <laughs> so uh, it's not a it, it's not a bad uh, um, experience. And people who have had near death experiences have a, a different relationship uh, with passing. It, um, yeah. it, it takes a lot of the angst out of you know what that whole experience is. Is it be. an
0: oxygen yeah. thing or like what's like what's uh, what's pushing mine, the button? I you know.
1: Mine's probably odd metabolic. I mean, no pituitary, you know, how, how goofy can your metabolic stuff get? Well, yeah, 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 I'll tell you how goofy it can get, you know. <laughs> it can damn near kill you, you know. Um, yeah, and it can kill you. It, the, yeah. the average person with no pituitary at all, uh, the life expectancy is 10 years. Uh, for women, it's actually shorter. Um, that uh, the, the reason that it averages ten is that women, it's not as good, and men is a little better. Now, I've been thirty years, so I'm way past the estimate. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and the surgical uh, patch uh, failed uh, a few years ago, so yeah. now I leak cerebrospinal fluid out my nose, um, and I, I'm not well enough to have a. A, a shunt and a patch and everything. Right, gone. right, right, right. So I, I just, I'm i just a leaker
0: now. Yeah. You know? So, but me- you know, the metabolism. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure uh, there's uh, dramatic metabolic changes. Um, uh, there are people that have it following a trauma, uh, uh, but, you know, trauma can put you into a coma pretty easily as well. Um, uh, the, the, the ability to actually recover from a coma exists in life. I think we actually did a, a little series on that. Yeah, um, we did. And, uh, we'll put that uh, here. Re- we were relatively effective at, at waking people up out of a coma, but uh, they weren't all happy to come back. So I just don't do that stuff anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it it uh, It's... Uh, uh, I haven't spent time in coma uh, but my de- near-death experiences weren't in normal waking consciousness so uh, and the, they're often enough still unfortunately at first they were a lot more often before i learned how to kind of manage all the chaos of pharma yeah. that have to be juggled you know, if you're juggling six or seven balls and you drop one it's, it's, you have to keep juggling, you know, but you got to figure out which one you dropped uh, so that you can fix that, or it might be the thing that, that takes you out. And you have to make the right guess. And occasionally I would make the wrong guess and that would damn near kill me. And, uh, you know, when you make the wrong guess, you'll notice the error at some point. And if you're, response to that is proper, you might pull yourself back out. And luckily I've uh, had the right guesses, Um, but you know, things fall apart and you can't, you can't make it forever. I'm fine with whatever the process goes, you know, just some mental
0: duct tape. Buckets <laughs> and bailing wire. <laughs> <Yeah, that's right. laughs> well, Jay, well, Jay Gunkelman, thank you. This, uh, this, the Noodle podcast, like a box of chocolates—you never know what you're going to get. You start start with Parkinson's, then you go to tinnitus, and then out-of-body experiences. What a show! Yeah. You know, Elon Musk's Neuralink was
1: mentioned, and yeah. uh, Dirk has a an interview online where he's talking about the future of implants and the fact that they're going to have ai in the implant chip at some point now he's consulted by the people who make chips that go for implants on what the next design step needs to be so you can bet that what he's talking about is going to be in the next series Uh, uh, but he he wants the uh he wants the chip to actually learn and adapt uh, so that um, the the stimulation can end up being optimized uh, by the chip itself. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Elon Musk wants to also not just measure your brain activity, but influence it. It's not just just an electronic stethoscope to listen to the brain function. He's got his fingers in there pushing buttons. Uh, So he's gonna do Stimulation to manipulate the brain function as well as measure the brain function. And um, his invention for threads that are going to be inserted, uh, uh, subdural threads, uh, yeah. end up being an, an interesting approach. Um, uh, there are other people that are basically trying to have uh, little kind of nanobots that are amplifiers that can be fired up with. Uh, ultrasound will power them up and uh, at that point they will measure and uh, uh, you, you basically inject them and then find out where they are and kind of live with uh, where they are as the spot that they're measuring. So there, there's different ways to get stuff in there, but you gotta be subdural in order to end up having the resolution that you really need for a real true brain computer interface uh, and computer brain interface. Uh, So it's not just one direction. Uh, uh, The AI uh, stuff should be able to uh, 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 optimize the uh, function of implants. Uh, But you know, uh, Dirk did a a nice talk uh, here in the Napa Valley a couple years ago for Cynthia Kersen's um, little group lecture and he he presented on the topic that, you know, asked the question, and he presented the topic. He he had to leave, but uh, just before he left, he, he dropped this, you know, cognitive bomb on the audience, and it starts out discussing the ability to implant memories. If you record a memory on one person, you can implant or play it back in another person. Now, that sounds like, Freaking total recall, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh uh plunk in the memory of uh that, that's not yours. Um, but it it feels like yours because you're having the memory. Could have used um, that at finals time. Yeah, and uh and then as he started to talk about all the AI uh and 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 stimulation and all of that, it started to look a little bit more like Skynet, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the, there were people that were actually, uh, that had, they were triggered to a certain extent by the, the idea of, uh, somebody controlling their brain, which is not a new idea. Um, Jose Delgado, uh, a, a neurosurgeon many years ago, uh, put implants in the brains of bulls and, um he would step into the bullfighting ring with a little box with a button on it. And they'd have this bull all enraged, you know, the stick stuff in him, and they're all, they're all blowing snot out their nose and paw on the ground. And, and uh, so he steps into the ring, you know, he doesn't have all the shiny metal things on him. He's not, he doesn't have a cape waving to try to distract the bull or anything. He's got a box of a button on it and the bull looks around and he sees, there's a freaking idiot in the bull ring. I'm going to go get him, you know? And he's the ground, and he starts to charge towards him. He hits the button, er, comes to an immediate stop and goes, what the hell was that? <laughs> and then he looks around and says, that stupid guy's still here. And he starts to go again. And two, three, four, you know, hits of the button. This bull is not going to go anywhere near him. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it stopped. It literally stopped his behavior. Uh, he wrote a book called Control of the Human Brain. And, you know, I I used to actually go to the library to see who might have checked it out, (laughs) you know, because, you know, you want to kind of know who in your area is thinking about, you know, physical control of somebody else's brain. Um, But, you know, that's what medical implants basically are doing, uh, uh, usually to to good effect with proper motivation. Uh, But, yeah. Uh, about the same time, the book Terminal Man came out, and uh, the book Terminal Man, um, a yeah, temporal lobe uh, epileptic who has violent, outrageous uh, behaviors, and um, uh, and they they put on an implant to kind of stop that, uh, but uh, eventually he kind of works his way around the the implant, you know. You mm-hmm. uh, so it's it, it's an interesting. Uh, uh, twist on free will, you know? Do we have free will? You know, um, are, are our behaviors totally predicted? Uh, was was the were the Calvinists correct? Uh, this is all uh, predetermined, um, you know. Uh, um, I, I don't know that it's all predetermined, you know. That, uh, 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 so uh, you yeah, I, I sort of feel like I have free will. I can make a choice um, uh, one way or the other, and I can change my mind and make a different choice. It seems like I have free will. There are those that will say, well, all the programming and what happened to you previously is determining in a way what you're going to be doing and you know, and and you know, I will argue with them and they'll say, well, it uh, was predetermined that you would be arguing the thing yeah. <laughs>
0: so uh, yeah, well no it doesn't sound uh, like a fun uh dinner party well uh you know it's talk uh,
1: yeah yeah, uh, yeah you know uh, and there's, there's nothing wrong with talking theoretically about a whole bunch of things uh but at at some point you get to the logical extreme of an argument and it's just uh, it, it's to the logical, illogical extreme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you take, take something to the point of it being ridiculous. And I, I think total determinism or total freedom are both probably a bit wrong.
0: Yeah. Jake Uncleman, thank you for this show, my friend. Well, have fun with it.
1: I, uh, I, I don't envy the editing of anybody who's doing an interview with me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Any show we can do with you, Jay, is fantastic. The Neuro Noodle Podcast is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. And a special thanks to our gold and silver supporters. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neurosciences NeuroGuide Workshop December 10th and 11th in Madeira Beach, Florida. It's led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend. Online or in person with the link appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops and if you sign up now you can join Dr. Robert Thatcher at his house for a pre-course get-together December 9th it's going to be a blast what a better way to enjoy winter by being in Madeira Beach, Florida and earning up to 16 CEU hours Sign up now at AppliedNeuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. MindMedia.com. Get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from MindMedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEEG courses will get you up to speed in no time Visit MyMedia.com now.